Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. You have undoubtedly heard the complaint, right? Vancouver is so unfriendly. It's so hard to make friends here. And usually it's people who have moved here from somewhere else, whether it's Toronto or wherever, and they just say, we are standoffish. Well, maybe it's not us. Maybe it's just hard to interact with strangers overall. Now, our next guest has done a lot of research on this. Now, he was convinced that all you had to do was make an effort with strangers and everything would be great. Now, maybe not so much. So let's find out what happened. Dr. Adam Mastriani is with us, experimental psychologist and author of the Experimental History Newsletter. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Now, you like talking to strangers. Is that right? (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, I didn't until I read the research telling me that I should. So I was uh, uh, about five years ago, all this research was coming out showing that if you convince participants to talk to new people, they think they aren't going to have a good time and then they go on to have a great time. Uh, and so I thought, why don't I get in on that? OK, so how did you do that? Uh, so, so I took matters into my own hands. I was uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, in the U.S. for an extra day. Um, and I thought, why don't I do an escape room with people that I don't know? And if you've never done an escape room before, this is like a, a room full of themed puzzles. It's like, oh, there's a bomb going to go off and you have to find the code within an hour. Uh, I love doing these. I've done over 140 of them. Normally, you do them with people that you know. But uh, back before the pandemic, you could see like, oh, there's already seven people signed up for this slot. I can just be number eight and I'll go meet these people. We'll have a great time. Maybe we'll get a beer afterward. Um, <laughs> and that is not what happened to me. Okay. I love that. Because first of all, it didn't occur to you that maybe all seven of those people knew each other and were doing it together. And you were pretty much already right. planning like your new friendships. What happened when you showed up? Right. It turned out uh, they already had friendships with one another. Uh, and none of them knew me. Uh, so w- I did this twice. Uh, one of them was definitely a birthday party. The other one might have been a birthday party. Uh, and I show up and I go, oh, no, I'm doing something weird. And all of them are like, who's this guy who's here? And so I'm like, so I'm like um, crafting the story about like, oh, my flight got canceled. And that's why I'm here. And I just really like escape rooms. They're like, OK. And uh, I got to tell you, it's really hard to uh, solve puzzles with people who all know each other, but you don't know them. It's very hard to communicate And so I'm just this guy who claims to be really into escape rooms. It seems to be really bad at them. And then at the end, I just flee. Because um, you were holding yourself back, though, right? Because, like, you know, escape rooms, but you just didn't you didn't want to kind of take over. Yes. uh, And and it's hard to, like, communicate with stuff that you need to communicate when you're in a room. They're like, oh, okay, I think like this thing goes over here. But if someone else is kind of working on that, you don't want to, like, grab it out of their hands. Um, so it is not the right situation in which to meet uh, new people. 
Okay, so, but you it worked before, right? You were telling the story there about how on the subway you talk to people. Like, it is possible yes. to be friendly with strangers, make those connections, and those are good for us. Yes, so um, some of the research that, that I was reading at the time, they ran this study uh, in Chicago where they caught people who were about to get on the commuter rail that morning to just do their normal commute, and uh, they randomly assigned them to one of two conditions. One was, hey, you should, can you talk to somebody sitting next to you on the train today? Um, And uh, at the the other stop, we'll we'll ask you um, uh, how that went for you. And some people were were randomly assigned to just do what they normally do, you know, and sit quietly and look at your phone. And and everybody predicted that uh, it'd be much better to just do what you normally do. That's why you are normally doing it. But in fact, the people who have been assigned to talk to someone new reported having a surprisingly good time. And this is actually a finding that we see over and over again. I've done some of this research myself. I've brought people into the lab, had them have conversations with with one another. I have other people predict, like, how good do you think this is going to be? And people tell me, like, oh, this is going to be dreadful. Uh, They're going to talk for a few minutes and going to want to leave immediately. (laughs) And that's not what happens. People actually have a surprisingly good time. On one occasion, I had um, two people talk for the full time that we allow them to, uh, and then they exchanged numbers afterward um, and presumably went on a date. Okay, Um, so what's the difference then? Yeah, so what is the difference then, though, Adam, between that and those situations of working out and and everybody having a good time versus kind of what happened to you? Like, was there something that you're missing there? Yeah, I think it's the right context that um, if you are coming in to an experiment and you um, have, uh, and the other person is too, you both know that you've signed up to be there for an hour, um, then it's not weird to start talking that that's what you're there to do. Whereas if you have tried to celebrate your friend's birthday in an escape room and someone has decided that this is their chance to run a little experiment and change their own lives, uh, that's a bad time to start talking to new people. There have been studies uh, since then run by some friends of mine where they got people to basically do a scavenger hunt with an app that got them to talk to more people over the course of a week. And they found that even a month later, people were reporting um, that they feel more confident talking to other people, that they feel better off. And so this can work. You just have to be wiser about it. Right. So this did go well for me one time uh, Based on the same research, I was standing at the deli counter at a grocery store, and I looked over, and the guy waiting next to me had a Princeton shirt on, and that's where I went for undergrad. And I was like, all right, time to make a new connection. I was like, hey, did you go to Princeton? And he said, no. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but then we got to talking, and, uh, and he was like, yeah, you know, I'm here because I'm working in a psychology lab, and I'm interested in social psychology. I'm like, I work in a psychology lab, and I'm interested in social psychology. We got to talking. And now he's one of my colleagues and friends. Every time we're at a conference, he invites me to the, the big party that, that he throws. So this can but that work. Was small and this talk, can right? Better though, than expected. Right. But I, seem, it's, it, I think what you're, the difference here is like you're talking about getting to know each other through small talk, which we need to do more of, right? We can get to yeah. know people versus trying to put yourself in the middle of, of good friendships. Yes. Uh, yes. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, I, don't, I don't like small talk. And uh, and there, there is other research that shows that actually people do enjoy ta- like having deeper conversations more so than they expect. They, they think that they're going to be rejected more than they are, that it's going to be more awkward than it is. But I'm much more a fan of small talk at the beginning because it, it's like easing yourself into the pool. Um, and so, yeah, you can be the one who's like, we should both do a cannonball into the conversation. And you can. And some people like that. 
but if you don't know what kind of person you're dealing with, like, why not ease in with a little bit of, oh, are you going to the university whose shirt you're wearing? No? Well, <laughs> how about something else that we have in common? Pivot to another topic. So... What advice do you have then for us, Adam? Because we, you know, here in Vancouver, we are often told that we are not very friendly people. So is it really about just being open to the small talk? Yeah, I think it's it's about um, uh, being a little bit more open to the idea that um, uh, that the people around you could be people who are fun to talk to. That doesn't mean every single one or in all contexts or all the time. Um, but I think if you go through life feeling like I kind of know all the people that I need to know, there are no more potential friends out there. You're just wrong about that. Every friend that you have was at some point a stranger. Um, and we know that, that people are a little too reticent to talk to strangers. So I think being a little bit more open is good. That doesn't mean it's always going to work out, but on average it will. And on average, it won't be nearly as bad as people think. But also don't use escape rooms to do this. All excellent advice. So thank you so much for that this morning. <laughs> Of course. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate that. That's Dr. Adam Mastriani, who's an experimental psychologist and the author of the Experimental History Newsletter. You should check that out. And he's written about the psychology of interacting with strangers, that there is like a sweet spot that you can hit there. And I think we need to hear that because we are guilty of this. I know myself. I've even said that. I know all the people that I need to know and I don't have room for new friends. And then somebody comes along that you go, I like that person. But it takes time to get to know them. Maybe we're not just open enough on that. This is Mornings with Simi. Stop me if you've heard this one before. The Surrey School District has too many portables. I know, right? How, after all these years, is this still a problem? I mean, Surrey's enrollment is projected to jump by more than 2,000 students in September of this year. They're funded for about 750. Overcrowded Surrey schools was one of the reasons why we even had a change in government back in 2017, as the frustration led people in some communities of Surrey to vote for the NDP, who made an election promise to eliminate those portables. And six years later, here we are. I don't want to say again. I would probably rather say still. So how is Surrey dealing with this? Joining us now is Terry Allen, chair of the Budget Committee for Surrey First Education. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. This sounds like a very challenging situation. Like, how many students are coming to Surrey? Well, as you, as you just announced, the, we had 2,200 new students this year when we had a prediction of around 1,500. And what we received from the Ministry of Education for our capital, in other words, new seats or classroom space, was 750 new uh, classroom seats. So when you weigh that up against the 2,200 students, it's not one-third of the students that came into the Surrey School District this year. And the predictions are for the next two years, the figures will be very similar because immigration since COVID, as restrictions have gone, has grown hugely. Why are the numbers so off? They're not, well, I mean... They're off. I mean, we, we do conservative numbers, right? I mean, we have to staff according to the numbers that we have there as far as teachers and support staff. So we, you know, the 1,500 is, is, is regular What how we expect. During the COVID period, it was down to around 750. But it doesn't answer the problem around what you've raised is the issue of portables, right? Or the fact that we're not getting any new schools. When the, and as you said, when the provincial government, the NDP, were in 
power originally. We had a number of, of uh, new schools built. It's in the last two years that um, we believe that the Surrey School District has been ignored as far as uh, capital money and certainly new schools. Okay, so would you say that it was the flurry of building in those first couple of years, that's kind of dried up now? Absolutely. So are there new schools under construction or being planned at this point in Surrey? There are new, well, we always plan because we have to provide our five-year capital plan and they outline where we need new schools, uh, new high school in Newton and areas like that. Uh, But the growth in, in the areas where we've opened new schools is problematic in Clayton and Grandview. Uh, the growth is just huge, and none of it, none of it addresses the issue of the SkyTrain corridor. That, that's not even on on our five-year capital plan now, because at the time when it was announced, nobody came to the school board and said, "Well, what do you think?" So. So when you say nobody came to the school board, is that that's also Surrey City Council, right? I mean, if they're going to allow all these developments to go forward, do they not plan with the school board to say, hey, we're going to need some services here too? Well, they, they do, but I mean, they, they don't have the purse strings to provide uh, the land. They don't have the purse strings to provide new schools. That's, that's not their business. Uh, the new schools and land for new schools is the business of the provincial government. So what is underway right now then, Terry, in terms of, like, where do you most desperately need some new schools? Well, we need, we need new schools throughout. I mean, all, all, most of our schools are at capacity. We need the new, a new school in the Fleetwood area. The, the high school there is, is absolutely full. There's no question about that. People move into the area. They can't even send their, their child to, to the school because it's full. And that's not a very good position for school school trustees to be in. We've changed boundaries. We move everything around to try to accommodate the growth. But, I mean, anybody who drives through Surrey knows what the growth is, the continual growth. It's, it's the fact that, that there's been this, I can't say ignoring of, of, of the growth, but there's been this, uh, resistance of, of providing the appropriate capital funding, as I said. Okay, so what is the portable situation then? Like, it must be pretty bad at some schools. Well, some, well that's that's part of the problem with this. So we have 361 portables in, in, in Surrey right now. In two years' time, we'll have over 400 portables. And the problem is that when you place portable, you take away playground space. So we get into the point where some of these schools have so many portables on them, we're going to have to consider whether we two-tier them. And the cost then is going to go through the roof. The cost of the portables is what, ultimately, if new schools are not built, will break the back of the school district. To to purchase a new portable and place it is $350,000 that comes directly out of operating. So we're just essentially treading water, I guess, when it comes to portables, because I can find stories that show that three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, Surrey had, in fact, 361 portables. So, like, the more schools you open, it feels like they're just filling up right away. Well, that's the problem. And and as, and, and you're dead on, because the truth of the matter is, if, if ministry came along and said, okay, we've seen your figures, it's 2,200 
uh, new students. So we will build you a new high school, two new elementary schools to deal with the growth. Not one child would walk through those front doors within five years. That's how long it takes from getting permission to move to, to build a new school through Treasury Board, through the planning process, five years before a child walks through the front doors. All right, so Terry, I know that the um, Surrey School Board here is is asking the provincial government for help on this. So what is it that the, the board has done? We've, re- we've written a letter to the minister and uh, acknowledging um, what they've done in the past, but also saying you need to take another look at the Surrey School District's capital plan and, and move off the 750 new seats and be realistic about building the appropriate schools in the Surrey School District. I mean, it's not, a, it's not appropriate that some children will spend their entire school, elementary school time in portables. Just, it's just not on. And when you build portables, you put portables on your land, they don't come with added gym space. They don't come with added washrooms. They just add to the, the, the wear and tear on the original facility that was never made to house another 100, 150 students. All right, well, I can't believe we're still talking about this here. So, uh, Neither I'm, can I. I know. I, I, I'm curious to hear back from the government and find out what they have to say about this. So we'll definitely want an update. But, Terry, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for taking the time. That is Terry Allen, chair of the Budget Committee for Surrey First Education. That is a Surrey School District uh, trustee there talking about portables in Surrey. Honestly, when I even just Google this, and you will see that three years ago, four years ago, there were 361 portables in Surrey. Now they've opened up a bunch of schools at that time. And guess what? Kids keep coming. And there are still 361 portables and they're concerned, the district is, that there are just not enough new schools being planned at this point, right? And I know there's a lot of debate on this issue. People go, why do you have all these developments that go in and you don't think about the schools? And sure, okay, but in the meantime, there's too many kids in portables, right? So what do we do about that? Why isn't the government, provincial government, helping them plan for more schools? This is Mornings with Simi. Well, this week, we expect a decision from the provincial government on what will happen with Surrey policing, keeping their SCMP or keeping the Surrey Police Service. Now, one of the big issues in all of this has been levels of staffing. And it's been pointed out, even by Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth, that staffing levels within the Surrey RCMP, just the RCMP in, in BC, actually, are low. The vacancy rate isn't getting any better and filling those jobs has been incredibly challenging. So I guess the question is, why? And what is being done about it? Joining us now to talk about this is the Deputy Commissioner, Dwayne McDonald, Commanding Officer of the BCRCMP. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Well, thanks for inviting me, Sonny. My pleasure. What is the vacancy rate like within the RCMP in BC right now? Currently, we're at a hard vacancy rate of about 8.9%, and that uh, will fluctuate. We do quarterly vacancy statistics, but that's currently where it sits. And is it particular? Is it worse in, in the Surrey RCMP detachment? No, actually, you know, I was just listening to you. I think that's a misunderstanding. Currently, Surrey is staffed up to its full complement, and that includes Surrey RCMP as well as SPS. So Surrey isn't uh, understaffed at all right now. Right. Okay. But in terms of the RCMP component of that, would you say all of the jobs are filled in Surrey? 
Yeah, so the way the current system works, uh, it's all done under the guidance of the Surrey Policing Trilateral Committee, which is the federal, provincial, and municipal governments. And the staffing levels are dictated uh, by that body. So each agency is currently providing what it's required to provide in order to meet the staffing levels that the city pays for. Okay, so this has been an issue, though, right, with the vacancies in, in within the RCMP? Yeah, it's been rising over, I'd say, since the start of COVID. It's been it's been more of a concern than usual. Okay, and so what's being done about it? How do you fill those jobs? Well, one of the biggest, uh, I think, in, uh, um, negative impacts on our vacancy patterns was uh, the lack of a collective agreement for our members. And so that coincided with the period of COVID. We still have a little bit of a COVID hangover there. Uh, but once our CBA was signed and the wage uh, and benefits package of our members was more um, equitable within the police universe, we've seen an increase in application. So certainly we're dealing uh, with the residual effects of that. Uh, we did have a lot of members hold off on retiring during COVID for you know obvious reasons. And so a lot of those members are now retiring. But I think there's more, more to it than that. Um, I mentioned yesterday that I think the narrative around policing over the last few years has been... Um, by and large, particularly negative, and in many cases, I think unjustly so, and that has a, a significant impact on recruiting. But, you know, the RCMP aren't alone in this. If you look across the country and, and emergency services in general, we are all short human resources. So you're seeing each of those agencies, but particularly the RCMP, uh, uh, begin to advance new recruiting strategies. We, in particular, have a new market research company that is uh, dictating our recruiting strategies toward uh, identifying and attracting people with characteristics that we'd like to see in a modern police officer. Uh, Here in uh, BC, we have an incredibly robust, experienced officer policing uh, recruiting program. So, for example, if you work for another police agency but want to join the RSMP, you can come over at rank. You can bring your leave entitlements with you. We'll place you anywhere in Canada that you want to go. Uh, You can work in specialty units. And so we like to make it as attractive as possible. Right. I was going to say that would come in handy if the decision goes to keep the RCMP in Surrey, wouldn't it? Uh, Well, certainly. But we've already seen, uh, I I would say in the last year, just in in British Columbia alone, we've taken on about 100 experienced police officers from other agencies and, and placed them throughout the province. So how did you respond then when you heard that, you know, the public safety minister had said that there is a concern about where the Surrey RCMP could potentially find more officers? You don't certainly don't want those to come from other detachments because that would be another concern for those communities. Oh, absolutely not. And, and that's also another misunderstanding that I keep hearing in media. And I, I've, I've tried to stay out of this in the media because I don't think this should be a political, I don't think we should politicize policing or this decision. Um, but nowhere in our plan are we suggesting that we would um, rob other detachments, so to speak, and take those resources and put them in Surrey. So I won't get into the details of our plan, but I'm very confident in the RCMP plan on how we would restaff Surrey. Um, and would do so in a manner that would not negatively impact our other detachment areas. Because, you know, the the minister has the statutory responsibility to ensure adequate and effective policing throughout the province. As the commanding officer of the provincial police force, I have the contractual responsibility, I'd say even further the moral responsibility, to ensure that that happens and that we deliver that service. How are you feeling then about this decision coming down this week? I think, you know what, um, it's been a challenging time for 
not only the RCMP who have lived with this issue, you know, for five years, but also the Surrey Police Services. It's not an easy environment uh, when you've, you know, you've got this hanging over your head. So I think uh, for me and for our members, we're excited for a decision. Um, it will give clarity on the way forward. And, you know, really, regardless of the decision, uh, if it comes down this Friday, uh, Saturday morning, uh, the RCMP will still be back at work and still be delivering uh, services to ensure public safety in the city of Surrey. Well, thank you very much for your time this morning. We appreciate that. My pleasure, Sammy. Thank you. That is Deputy Commissioner Dwayne McDonald, Commanding Officer of the BC RCMP, talking about their staffing levels, misconceptions that he feels are out there about that, and as well, talking about that decision likely coming down this Friday on what will happen in policing in Surrey. Will it be the RCMP or will it be the Surrey Police Service? This is Mornings with Simi. Time for a little inspiration. Just when you feel like, oh, the world is getting you down, there is hope out there. And actually, you're going to find it in our kids. When you were a kid, do you remember the science fair when it was that time of year at the school? I was always terrified because there's so much pressure to put on a great science fair project. But these days, kids are killing it. They are just blowing it out of the water. Now, the Science Fair Foundation has announced the finalists that will be competing in the 2023-24 Canada-wide Science Fair. There are only 56 finalists from 12 different regions that have been selected to compete nationally. So these are the brightest of the brightest kids out there. They have poured their hearts and souls into asking really interesting questions and creating projects that kind of challenge science and technology and what we know about it. I know these are right out of the minds of kids, which is why I felt like you need a little inspiration today. These are the kids that we need to hear from, right? They're, they're tackling everything from climate change to cutting edge medical technologies. Like you never know where the next great idea is going to come from. Like our next guest, actually. So Jasmine Chow is a grade seven student at St. Michael's Catholic Elementary School and a finalist in the Science Fair Foundation's Canada-wide Science Fair. And Jasmine is with us now. Good morning, Jasmine. Hi. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I am good, thank you. Thanks for being on our show with us. I'm really excited to hear about your Science Fair project. Can you tell me what it's about? My project is about chip bags and emergency blankets. What do you mean? Like the regular potato chip bags that we eat out of? Yes. As an emergency blanket? How does that work? Well, an emergency blanket is where... um, Uh, Sorry. That's okay. So you, so you were wondering if it's the same kind of material, like an emergency blanket and the material that we make chip bags out of. Yeah, they're the same material. They are the same material? Yes. Okay, I didn't know that. So you could make an emergency blanket out of a chip bag? Yes, you can. Is that what you did? That's what I did for my experiment. How did it work? Tell me about your experiment. Well, what I did was I ran an experiment over seven hours to determine the heat loss for three emergency blankets. Two were store-bought and one was my chip bag emergency blanket. I found that the chip bag reduced heat loss by 10% when compared to the two store-bought blankets. This shows that there is a secondary use for non-recyclable chip bags, which helps to keep them out of the landfill. So did you, like, tape together a whole bunch of potato chip bags? Well, yes. What I had to do was I cleaned, cut and tape together all these chip bags to make a blanket that was big enough to fit around my body. 
Oh, that must have been a tough assignment, Jasmine, to eat all those potato chips. It was. <laughs> I'll bet it was. Okay, so you found that it performed really well. So did your results surprise you? Yes. It, I wasn't expecting the chip bags to outperform the two-store bar emergency blanket. But once I researched more, I realized that the chip bag emergency blanket was 10 times thicker than the store bar emergency blanket, which gave it insulation. Okay, that's amazing. So we spend more, like there's more thickness in the chip bag than there is in the probably expensive emergency blanket that we buy at the store. Yes. Wow. So what kind of reaction has your experiment gotten? Well, most people are just shocked to find that a chip bag can do, like perform better than um, just a store-bought emergency blanket. I even found that surprising. I am also right now finding it very surprising. So Jasmine, you are one of the finalists for this. Are you, were you surprised when they said to you, hey, we love your project. We're going to make you a finalist. Yeah, because I was going to regionals just to like experience all the projects because they're so well, well made. And just it was really a memorable moment to be chosen by um, chosen to be a representative for the West Kootenays. That is amazing, Jasmine. Have you always been interested in science? Yes, I've been interested in science because, like, I can choose a problem that I'm interested in, and I can challenge myself to find a solution that will help me learn something new through, like, a science-based approach. Hmm. Are you already thinking maybe about your next project? Well, I haven't really thought of my next project because in grade 8, we don't hold science fairs. But I still really want to do one next year. Are you going to stick with science, do you think? You're one of those science people? Yeah, I think I'm going to stick to being like an engineer when I grow up or something. I think you are well on your way. Jasmine, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for you, okay? Okay, thank you. When is the big science fair? When do you find out? When do I find out about the CWSF? Like this whole Canada-wide science fair. When do you find out who the winners are? Um, we find it in about three weeks from now because it's over a week period. All right. Well, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for you. You let us know how it goes. Okay. Okay. Thanks so much, Jasmine, for being on the show. Thank you. No, thank you. That's Jasmine Chow. Jasmine's in grade seven. Okay. Jasmine's a grade seven student and did an experiment that found out that the potato chip bags that we have are actually made of a, a like a the similar material to an emergency blanket. And if you tape a whole bunch of potato chip bags together, she cleaned them, of course, uh, you actually have more heat and more protection than a store bought one of those foil emergency blankets. Grade seven. Not only did that occur to her to ask that question, she conducted the experiment and found out that it is absolutely true. Amazing. So Jasmine is from the West Kootenays and is one of the finalists from right across the country of the Canada-wide Science Fair that is put on by the Science Fair Foundation. There's only 56 finalists uh, from all across Canada. So we wish her the best of luck. And I am always blown away. Grade 7. You know what I was doing in grade 7? Pretty much thinking, well, maybe I could memorize the words to, you know, Mr. Roboto by Sticks. That's what I was thinking about back in grade seven. So, Jasmine, good job out there. This is Mornings with Simi. 
And a lot of noise about helping out and helping to try to reinstate that SFU varsity football program. It's not just about the game. It's about what it does for athletes, what it does for student athletes, what it does for young people. We know that participating in sports, getting kids busy with activities goes a long way towards helping them grow, keeping them out of trouble. So what happens when we tell them to, yeah, hey, play a sport, you can get a scholarship, you can go to university, and then the university just unilaterally decides, oh yeah, that program doesn't exist anymore, because there's you know a lot of that going on here. So joining us now to talk more about this is Diane Watts, actually, former Surrey mayor, who has been deeply involved in SFU community engagement as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Now, you were a big part of trying to bring SFU to that campus to Surrey too, weren't you? Yeah, we had, um, for many, many years, we've had a very close working relationship with Simon Fraser University, Surrey. And uh, a lot of the work that we did was youth-focused. And, you know, as you know, I mean, we have the largest population of youth under the age of 19 anywhere in the province. So uh, everything that we did in the partnerships, engagement, all of those things uh, was, uh, you know, in conjunction with uh, SFU as one of our partners. But also, too, I mean, we have to remember um, BC Lions has their training facility in Surrey, and we've got Lord Tweedsmere, which has a fabulous football uh, club there. And so we're very football-oriented as well. So there's a lot of kids that uh, are engaged in sports, engaged in football. And, you know, when we see what's going on right now, I mean, it's very concerning. And actually, I mean, I feel I'm very disturbed by the decision because it is just not something that we want to teach our kids. You know, uh, we want them to be good, good citizens of the world and still values. And then all of a sudden it's like, here, here's a commitment. Base your decisions on this commitment. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. then we're going to pull the rug out, which is just unfair. And so what did you think when you heard about this? Well, like I said, I I was very disturbed by it because, you know, as you just mentioned uh, leading up to this, if you engage kids in sports, and that was our, it's our focus here in Surrey and right across the lower mainland in the province, frankly, is you've got to engage the kids in sports. You've got to make sure that they have good values, that they're, you know, they're part of a team or part of something that can inspire them. And so when you look at uh, how our kids develop, what we want to teach, and especially institutions, uh, you know, secondary, post-secondary institutions, our high schools, all of those things we want to make sure that when you get out into the world that you've got your core values that you've got you know a good sense of who you are and that's what sports does and so uh you know i i'm i'm very disappointed with uh, with this decision and i know many parents are i mean in fact three of the of the team uh, players there are from lord tweet Tweedsmere here in Cloverdale. So, oh, really? It's, yeah, it's very concerning. So what, you know, you, you've done a lot of work with SFU. Like, what have you heard about this? Or did you reach out to them and say, hey, what is like going on here? Well, I've, you know, I've spoken to uh, a number of parents. I've spoken to a number of, of alumni from, from SFU. And I think they're, the, the disturbing part of it is, is they want to have a conversation about how how did you reach this decision? Is there something that we can do? We can support, uh, and and that conversation hasn't hasn't been undertaken. 
So again, that's not been my experience with Simon Fraser, uh, especially here in Surrey, because we've always had open communications. We've always had great participation and even participating in a number of the scholarships, whether it was by the firefighters or the city or, you know, any of the community groups. So, um, you know, they, they played a very large role. So for them not to be communicating in a way as to why they've made the decisions, and it's impacted so many families. You know, like I said before, you've got 23 new recruits that have been promised a four-year scholarship. So their decisions are based on that commitment. And so, you know, when you when you say, well, sorry, we're not going to do this anymore, it really is not, yeah. it's, it's just not something that you want to demonstrate, nor the values of, of Simon Fraser University, as far as I know. Right. I know we talked many times over the years about the importance of kind of keeping kids engaged in, in Surrey. How important do you think athletics are to that? Oh, I mean, it, it is so it is so important. I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, whether it is football, whether it's soccer or any of these sports. Sports is is really um, it really teaches kids a lot about um, teamwork, making sure that they're, you know, and commitment and you know, got to be at practice got to be on the field and I know with our BC Lions training facility here so many kids come out uh, during training season and just to watch them and they look up to these players and so you know it, it really it they're role models and I know for us anyway in Surrey the BC Lions have really stepped up on a number of fronts on social issues uh, especially with kids they've come out and so they've they've really stepped up to the plate here, and I'm I'm mm. like I said I, I I'm just shaking my head at this one. Oh, I, I would agree with you on that. I've been shaking my head on this for a couple of weeks now. So are you at all hopeful? There's been such a groundswell of support. I just I guess for me it's hard to imagine that any organization would look at that and go, nah, you know, we're not going to pay any attention to that. So are you are you at all hopeful on this that something might happen? Oh, for sure. I mean, I hope that they're having some conversations, whether it's behind closed doors here, to say, okay, how do we get out of this? You know, you want to make sure that there's a pathway uh, for like a good exit to say, okay, you know, we made a mistake. We've got to come together. Let's sit down at the table and lay out the issues, whatever those issues are. You know, here are issues. This is why we've made the decision and have that conversation. And, you know, from what I understand that those conversations have not been undertaken. And so I'm, I'm wondering what the genesis of that decision-making process is because like I said that's never been my experience with Simon Fraser they've always been open communicative and engaging so um, you know I that that so it gives me pause as to think okay is there something else going on here I don't know the answer to that question well we've been trying to find it we can't find it either listen thank you so much for your time this morning oh my pleasure That's Diane Watts, former mayor of Surrey, of course, and was deeply involved in SFU community engagement, bringing that SFU campus to Surrey, uh, helping them with programs definitely aimed at, like, you know, recruiting, keeping Surrey kids busy and involved and hoping to one day go to post-secondary. And if it's through athletics, then great. You know, that's the way to get kids engaged.
And now that's all gone because of this decision here. And listen, we've talked a lot about Surrey's issues, and especially when it comes to gang-related issues and keeping kids busy is a huge part of that. But if you don't give them something to strive for, a goal to strive for, like, hey, if you play this sport, maybe one day you could go to post-secondary on a scholarship. Uh, really taking away something important, an incentive there. So yeah, we are also still wondering why this was made. No way to get that out of SFU. They keep pointing to the fact that, oh, they've appointed an advisor to examine this. Well, now they've appointed an advisor and no word on who that is, what that process is all about. When are we going to get some answers on that? Uh, I personally feel like they're just kicking this can down the road, you know, hoping this will die down somewhere out there.